Kamala before. That's that's interesting. Let's see what she's got to say. Kamala Harris. We know, NAACP, <laughs> that our country has a history of claiming ownership over human bodies. <laughs> oh, listen to the applause. They love it. They love it. And today, extremist so-called leaders are criminalizing doctors and punishing women for making health care decisions for themselves. Personal decisions that is her right to make in consultation with her doctor, her pastor, her priest, her rabbi, her loved ones, not her government telling her what to do. Anyway, folks, um, welcome to GAMCAST for July 19th, uh, 2022. It is a, a rainy day in Atlanta, which is great because we need it because it's so hot everywhere. We, we're going to get to Biden potentially uh, declaring a climate emergency. We're going to talk about Nancy Pelosi, Deborah Burks, the Scarf Queen, has a book out. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about Steve Bannon. Probably going to go to Steve Bannon next. I think he's next up. We're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into his trial, which starts today. They are picking a jury and are expected to make opening statements this afternoon. So let's knock out Kamala there real quick. Uh, first time we started the show with, with Kamala. But, you know, we hadn't talked about this in a while. But, you know, th th that's just more of, you know, the, the, what the Democrats have these days. They, they really don't have anything. They have a bunch of shows they run. And they, they fabricate and they manufacture, quote, unquote, news. And so that's a good example of it there. And, and why do they do it? Well, because it works. I wish it didn't work. But, folks, at this point, uh, Barack Obama has demonstrated that it does work. And you play the racism card, and you can play it over and over again. It never gets old to these people. I mean, that's the NAACP. And I used to watch gatherings like that, and I would think to myself, wow, okay. So she goes, wonder what the NAACP is talking about. And whatever they're talking about must be, you know, what the black community, right? Because it's a national uh, association for the um, advancement of colored peoples, right? It must be what colored people think. And it turns out, you know, it's not. It's what of a bunch of elites think. And elites, trust me, folks, you have to understand this. That's all they think about 24-7, 365 is race, 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 race. And there are going to be a lot of checks written for Kamala going in there and talking about that. And so then you go, okay, well, now we're talking about abortion. What's that got to do with race? I mean, is there some racial component to abortion I'm missing? I mean, as far as I know, the abortion laws, no matter how they are, if they're very, very lenient, like, say, in California and New York, by the way, the most lenient in the world, okay, um, far uh, greater than anything you do in Europe. Europe resembles Texas and Mississippi, right, more closely than it does California and New York. But let's set this aside. What's the possible racial component there? There isn't one, not, not by a long shot, unless, you know, she could make the argument if she were doing that is that uh, blacks disproportionately abort children, right, because about 60% of abortions are for black women, even though they only make up about 6.5% of the population. But, you know, that's not the point she's making. And the other thing you have to understand that these elites and their clapping is they um, want you thinking about race and they want you thinking about abortion. So that, that's, that's what their November pitch is going to be, and January 6th, which we're going to get to January 6th because Steve Bannon is really a, partially a January 6th story. But I want you to also note how she talked at the end, right? And we've talked about this before. Part of the problem that we're seeing now is that Democrats have gone so extreme that the Supreme Court sort of has to come in and push back against it, right? If they had not gone so far extreme, if they had stayed in the safe, legal, and rare sphere that they were in with Bill Clinton in the 90s, I doubt 
you get the Dobbs decision. I doubt that the Supreme Court sends it back to the states. But the other thing is, I also want you to always remember these people. In addition to everything is about race, notice how they, they have this little grift where they get to say, you know, in 1850, there were slaves in America. They were actually black slaves in America. Therefore, today, well, today what? What else was happening in 1850? Well, in 1850, we weren't burning um, fossil fuels because they hadn't been discovered yet, right? In 1850, you didn't have drunk driving laws because nobody drove a vehicle, so there was no reason to have a drunk driving law. I mean, I could go on. I mean, think about 1850. Imagine what it was like. There was no air conditioning in 1850. And folks, one of the things I like when I'm reading, I read, you know, fiction, nonfiction, and fun fiction. Well, as part of the nonfiction subset, I'm trying to read a biography of every president. I've told you this before, but, you know, one of the big things that Eisenhower had to deal with from 1953 until 1961, he was the president, right? He was elected in, in 52, but didn't take office until 53. So one of the big things he had to deal with was the migration, and this is actually true migration, not the migration when they talk about the southern border. That's, that's not a migration. That's an invasion, right? We use proper terminology. We speak proper English on the Great American Mail. But anyway, one of the things he had to deal with with his presidency was— because of air conditioning being invented, the South went from being someplace you did not want to be for half of the year to someplace you wanted to be for the entirety of the year. We already have great quote-unquote winters. I mean, I'm broadcasting out of uh, Atlanta, and we don't even have a winter. I mean, I, I remember even when I lived in North Carolina, there was a winter where you had to have, you know, for you know, it was a smaller winter, you know, two months, maybe a month and a half. But it was smaller, but you had to have one unless you got up into the north or in the mountains in case you had a full winter. But you had to have a winter coat. I can't remember the last time I put on a winter coat in Atlanta. I mean, some days it'll get below, but it, it very rarely does it be that. So, you know, it's pleasant, very, very pleasant in the non-summer uh, times. But in the summer times, can you imagine without air conditioning? Anyway, think about that, folks. And, and, and nobody goes around and goes, you know, in 1850, we didn't have any air conditioning. Therefore, no, we don't do that. You know why? Because it has no relevance to our life today. None. Zip, zilch, nada. I mean, we are all dumber from having listened to Kamala there, but... I want you to understand the reason I wanted to start that is this is, I mean, she's kind of get going a little viral with this. People are mocking it. But, folks, the people on the right mock it. And I, I say all the time, you can't logic with these people. You have to understand, yeah, it's funny. We laugh at it. We know how ridiculous it is. I just spent five minutes of my life explaining to you how ridiculous it is. But you always must remember this. The people that are neighbors, our friends, if you drive you know, anywhere in Atlanta right now, in the neighborhood I'm in, in an upscale neighborhood in Atlanta, you see nothing but Stacey Abrams, nothing but Raphael Warnock signs. And these are all white people, and they worship this. They love it. They are, they are going to vote for Warnock. They are going to vote for Stacey Abrams because she's black. They don't care about the policy so much, just that she's black. This stuff, it works. It's sad. It's awful. But you have to understand, these people, what she just said, resonates to them. Never forget that. All right. So let's get to Bannon. Folks, um, we, I've been talking about this story a little bit, but not as much as I really should have. And this goes into the category of these are things that are, A, designed to distract you, and B, designed to increase their power, right? It's like a great glacier. You know, every every so often the glacier just continues to freeze and expand and expand and expand, right? And glaciers are basically slow, a slow-moving river, if you've ever seen them in the way they're described. And some, sometimes they're receding, sometimes they're uh, seeding. Right now, that's the, we're, at a, we're at a point in time where the government, every day, it gets a little bigger, right? And it, it's like we have to remember our inner Andy Dufresne, right? All we need is time and pressure, right? 
And when we talk about how the, 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 the Grand Canyon was built, right? All you need is time and just a little bit of a trickle of water, and you wait a couple thousand years, and you'll have the Grand Canyon. That's what Congress is doing. But I want you to I want to bring back to show you in slow motion how we're seeing this. We're witnessing something that is catastrophic for our republic, but we're witnessing it in our own time. Okay, so contempt of commerce is not a thing. It's never been a thing. Go to don't believe me. Right, I've got an article here from Snopes. I'm going to go through it a little bit, but don't believe me. Go do your own research on the interwebs, and you'll see that contempt of Congress was something that just didn't happen. And there's a lot of reasons it didn't happen. One was Congress is up there to pass laws. And if they ask somebody to come because they need their testimony, most people voluntarily, sure, show up. Go, you're, you're, you want to know what's going on in this industry? You know, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. Sure, I'll, I'll give you my testimony. I want to be a good citizen, whatever, right? And so you, very rarely do you have problems where people don't want to come. Right? We have a few when they don't want to come, say, for example, maybe Watergate, maybe the January 6th committee because it's a show trial, right? They decide they want to defy it. Well, first and foremost, you need uh, you, you don't have any uh, actual executive power. You need to rely upon another branch of government, right? And typically that branch of government, right, if it's not of your party, they're not going to you know, be willing to go ahead, especially if you're engaging in nefarious stuff, which they are, right? So you need unanimity of two branches of government. So it's another reason you haven't seen a lot of it, right? Then Americans always sort of understood that, you know, Congress has basically they pass legislation, they don't have executive power, so they really shouldn't be getting into a lot of areas where they're going to get into um, issues with people. So we've had a few times where public officials refused to come. Eric Holder's one. I think Bill Barr refused to come a couple of times. But, of course, then you had an executive branch. In the case of Holder, Obama was the executive. He's not going to hold his own attorney general in contempt. Same thing with Trump. He's not going to hold his own, own uh, attorney general in contempt. But Congress is quickly getting to the point now where they want to cross that Rubicon and see if we can establish a, a, a position where we've got a precedent now where if we want something, then there's now precedent for uh, prosecuting somebody. And they always do this. They start with somebody who's not unpopular, who, who might be a little controversial, right? You're not going to start with little sisters of the poor or whatever, right? You're not going to start with the Catholic nuns or something like that. You can start with somebody like Steve Bannon. So let's go through the history of this. This is an article from Snopes. It was November of 2021. Bannon, first person charged with contempt of Congress since 1983, 39 years ago, folks. They somehow been able to get up around up there dealing with people without referring somebody to contempt, right? So it talks about the fact that um, he's the first person uh, since uh, 39 years. Now, again, just to show you how the other side thinks, this is why I picked this article, right? Legal analysis by Ely Honig made a similar observation on CNN. I'm not going to play the bit today, okay? This is little Brian Stelter. Little Brian Stelter tweeting it out. He's tweeting it out. The Justice Department has not charged anyone with criminal contempt in 38 years since 1983, right? And then Honig, apparently, if you if you read this little bit of it, it seems that, uh, according to him, Bannon's the first uh, indictment for criminal contempt of Congress in nearly 30 years. It was well-earned. So again, I just want you to understand, just like with Kamala, these people, they don't see the world as it is. They see the world completely manufactured, made-up bubble that they live in, right? I mean, the average person goes, wow, first person in 39 years, this must be really serious. Now, we're going to get to the subpoena, and we're going to see how childish this is. But I want you to understand, a normal person would look at that and go, it's unusual, must be something serious. Not Eli Honig, not Brian Stelter, not Larry Tribe, not any of these people. To them, this is all a game, right? This is all a game. You go back to a contempt because the person that was charged, by the way, um, 
was uh, uh, I can't remember there. Oh yeah, Rita Lavelle. She was charged in 1983. She was found not guilty. She was later found guilty of lying to Congress, right? Anyway, the last person convicted, you got to go all the way back to 1974. That would be G. Gordon Liddy, who was part of the Watergate um, issue going on out there. And so obviously you can imagine then that for a person to be uh, tried, that was a Democrat Congress and a Republican executive branch, right? It would have been a Nixon Ford. So they, they would have been going after him in 1974. So it shows you that back then you had a little bit of a uh, little more cooperation. But anyway, this is bad news. So let's go and let's take a look at the subpoena. If you're um, uh, watching it on the YouTubes or the interwebs, you now can see this is a copy of the letter that was uh, included with the subpoena. This is typically how this is done. I'm a practicing lawyer. I do this all the time. Typically what you do is you, it, and just so you understand, just as Benny Thompson signed the subpoena, uh, civil lawyers and criminal lawyers, you have the power as an officer of the court, you can issue a subpoena. You don't need to go to a judge. You don't do anything. There's a form. There's a civil form. There's a criminal form. We're going to look at it in a minute. You literally fill out the information. You put in the dates, and you sign it yourself, and that is a valid subpoena, folks. Okay? And there are penalties for, for not complying with subpoenas. Civil is a little different than criminal. We'll get to that. But anyway, so you issue the subpoena. Once you have the subpoena signed, Right then, typically is you don't have to. You there are certain ways under the federal rules that you can serve it. You can obviously serve it with, uh, you know, the, the local sheriff or lo- local police. You can serve it. Uh, uh, you can uh, get a, 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 a somebody appointed who's over eighteen years old and not interested in the case to serve it. Lots of ways you can serve it, but you get it served. In some instances, you can actually serve it by overnight mail, registered mail, or um, overnight carrier. But anyway, you however you get it served, you get it served. Now you don't have to, but it is common practice to include a cover letter, basically to say, hey, I just picked these dates. If these dates are inconvenient, call me, and I'll work with you to get more convenient dates. I'll work with you to get the documents. Typically, you you have something where you say that you're going to cooperate reasonably to get the information. So I want you to look at this here. You're seeing, right, pursuant to the authority set forth in House Resolution 503, that's the garbage creating this show uh, committee, the rules, blah, 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 blah. Hereby transmits a subpoena compelling you to produce the document set forth in the accompanying schedule on October 7th, 2021, and to appear on October 14th, 2021. Now, let's scroll back up here to the top, and you'll see the date of the letter is September 23rd. Now, that's pretty aggressive, folks. I'm just going to tell you. And under the rules, you have to give them at least a week. So he gave them uh, basically two weeks. But that's not a lot more than the rule provides. And it, again, is pretty unusual for somebody to set something that quickly, right? But anyway, let, let's go forward. So you should understand Bannon was given two weeks to get the documents to him and then three weeks to appear, all right? So this is not a situation. Oftentimes you will call the person, try to get in touch with the person and work it out, and then you'll confirm it in the letter. They didn't do that either, okay? Anyway, he talks about what the select committee is doing. We know what they're doing, blah, 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 blah. The select committee has reason to believe that you have information relevant to the understanding uh, important activities that led to and informed the events at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. For example, you have been identified as present at the Willard Hotel on January 5, 2021, during an effort to persuade members of Congress to block the certification of the election the next day. That's not really true, but whatever. Object to or whatever. But And, and in relation to other activities on January 6, folks, I, I've gone through this many times, and if, if you're listening on or watching on YouTube, We've got videos on that whole idea. It's not a crime to attempt to block certification. I mean, think about that. Why are you having a certification vote? Why do you have a procedure for it? There's a, literally a procedure for objections. We've talked about it. You have to have a, a member of uh, both houses, the Senate and the, and the uh, House, to sign the objection, and then you object it. How could 
you have a process to do that if it's not okay to try to block it. I, I don't understand these people, but again, they, they live in their own world. And in relation to other activities on January 6th, you were also described as communicating with then-President Trump on December 30th, 2020, and on potentially other occasions, urging him to plan for and focus his efforts on January 6th. Okay, sounds like he has some interesting information, right? Like, what was the plan to, to challenge on January 6th? Moreover, you are quoted as stating on January 5th, 2021, that, quote, all hell is going to break loose tomorrow, end quote. Now, folks, so far, so good. I mean, I, that whole, like, last part of it, again, just shows you the mockery that this committee is. I mean, folks, that could mean so many things. Uh, you know, and that's the way D, Steve Bannon talks. You ever hear the guy talk? I mean, I... Yeah, he talks way, way about everything. So, but anyway, blah 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 blah. A copy of the rules and the deposition. Da, da, da. So let's scroll back up here. Here's the subpoena. You're looking dead at it right now. It's two pages. I've issued hundreds of thousands. I mean, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds of these in my career. Maybe over a thousand. But there are a bunch of things. Typical, typical. This is standard federal form. It's to it's to his lawyer. It identifies who you are. It says right here. You can see right here the time for productions of things. What you do is you attach a schedule. This you're looking is a federal form. You can go find it. You just if you go to Google and put in federal subpoena, it'll come right up this form. Probably first two three hits. All right. You want documents? There's the date, October seventh, ten a.m. Here's another one for testimony, October fourteenth. They've redacted this out. I don't know why, but the, you, typically you put the place and time where that would happen. I don't know why that's redacted, but it is. Anyway, and then you sign it at the bottom, and then on the next form. It has proof of service, and you basically said out there how you were going to serve it. Um, again, they've redacted it, so I don't know how they served it. They, they probably gave it to a sheriff or maybe overnight delivery. doesn't matter. Then typically, if you have document requests and you do, um, yeah, here you go right here, document and definition. So here you go right here. You're scrolling through it, it, it you know, all documents, blah, 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 definitions, and it talks about all the different documents they want. So anyway, that, that's what they, they sent to him. Now, if you scroll over here, let's look at the indictment because once he didn't show, he apparently didn't show up on the 7th, nor did he show up on the 14th, as the subpoena said. But the important thing I want you to know is, A, they didn't, pre, they didn't clear the dates beforehand. They just issued it out of hand, which again, folks, I want you to understand that is not uncommon, but typically the cover letter with it, it is almost universally that at that point you will say, look, I just picked these dates out of thin air. If they're inconvenient, you know, we'll work with you type of thing. That's not in the letter. That's the important part. Number two, I want you to understand that um, what happened after that to see whether or not uh, Bannon is willfully, because the standard under the uh, law that he's being uh, tried to be convicted of here is you have to willfully defy the subpoena, all right? And I I'll, I'll want to make sure that before we go further, you understand that the penalty for contempt of Congress is um, not less. So this is a minimum sentence not less than 30 days or five years in prison. So if he's convicted, minimum is he's going to jail for 30 days. And and a fine. The minimum fine, luckily for him, is only 100 bucks, And the maximum fine is 100000 So just make sure we're look, what we're looking at here. So I have now pulled up the actual uh, uh, indictment for him. So this, this is describing in the indictment, you're looking at it. I'm going to read it, the pertinent parts for you for those listening to the podcast. So anyway, it's headline, Bannon's refusal to comply with the subpoena. On October 7th, uh, by the 10 a.m. deadline, Bannon did not appear this, uh, before the select committee, did not produce documents and communications, and did not provide a log, blah, blah, blah. So he didn't uh, didn't confess, didn't show up, didn't comply. In fact, Bannon had not communicated with the select committee in any way since accepting service of the subpoena on September 24th, 
2021s. I don't even understand how that works, but apparently it looks like it, it looks like they did it by overnight carrier because it's dated the 23rd. And then I don't know how you communicate when you accept service. To me, that's not communication, but whatever. Instead, that evening at 5.05 p.m., seven hours after Bannon had defaulted on the production deadline, Bannon, through his attorney, transmitted a letter, the October 7th letter to the council. All right, so basically, folks, now this is where I'm going to get on Bannon a little bit here. Um, this is not the way I practice law, and I would not advise anybody to do this. Now, he knew that he was apparently, I'm going to tell you what his position was, but he knew he was not going to comply. Folks, if you know you're not going to comply, it's just common courtesy to do it before the deadline so that nobody's inconvenienced and, you know, they know, hey, he ain't coming. So that October 7th at 10 a.m., we can reschedule something else because he communicated it not coming. So this is, this is poor practice on his part. But, folks, I, I want to tell you that it is typically common for until you get confirmation that somebody's coming, right, before you go to a next step. And I also tell you that, again, I, I think this isn't a requirement in the criminal law. It should be. In the civil law, if somebody refuses to comply with this type of discovery, you are by rule required to cooperate in good faith to get it resolved before you go to the judge. Right? And I'll note that they haven't done that, nor did they do that here. So anyway, Bannon's October 7th letter asserted that Bannon would not comply with the subpoena because former President Donald J. Trump had claimed that the subpoena sought records and testimony potentially protected by executive and other privileges and instructed Bannon to the fullest extent permitted by law to, where appropriate, invoke immunities and privileges, anyway, blah, blah, blah. I ain't coming because what you're looking for is privileged information. Now, folks, I'm going to get on Bannon a little bit here, too. Um, I think the better practice would have been to say, look, if you want to talk to me about stuff I have to talk about, right, notwithstanding Trump, then I'll show up and I'll come. But I I need more time than the 7th, right? I mean, come on. That's too soon. But, again, I I don't see this as a blanket way to go. Anyway, so the next day on October 8th, 2021, the Select Committee responded to Bannon in writing, rejected his reasons for not compliance, da-da-da-da, it spells it out here, basically the same thing I said, is if you want to come, come raise privilege at the appropriate time, and we'll work it out at that time. All right, so folks, I'm trying to be as fair-minded as I can be here. Obviously, as you know, I don't like the January 6th committee. It's, I, th- I know it's unconstitutional and it's inappropriate. But anyway, so at 519 on October 13th, the evening before Bannon was required to appear, before the deposition, right? And five days after receiving the Select Committee's October 18th letter, Bannon, through his attorney, transmitted another letter, the October 13th letter, until such time as you reach, that's what it says, reach an agreement with President Trump or receive a court ruling as to the extent, scope, and application of the executive privilege in order to preserve the claim of executive and other privilege, Mr. Bannon will not be producing documents or testifying. Okay. On October 14th, 2021, at 10 a.m., Bannon did not appear. The following day, on October 15th, the select committee sent a letter through its attorney addressing Bannon's refusal to produce documents, blah, 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 blah. They now claim he's in willful uh, line compliance at that day, right? The select committee would meet on October 19th to consider initiating contempt, blah, 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 blah. So they didn't wait to hear from him. So, folks, I'm going to tell you right here. Here's um, a problem that I have with the exec committee is, one, they sent the letter. They had already picked dates, all right? Now, I think Bannon should have communicated a little bit more promptly, but eventually he communicated, I'm not coming to you, work something out with Trump. They then gave him almost no time. So they responded to him on the 15th, and by the 19th, they had already issued a, uh, you know, initiating a contempt proceeding for Bannon. Okay, so they did not try to work it out. And I want you to also know here, folks, that Bannon, when he wrote them, said, hey, if you want, go to the judge. 
right? Go to the go go to the judge and say, hey, judge, da da da, da resolve this out, and maybe maybe I can come and testify. That would have been a normal thing to do, folks. I, I, looking through this, it is pretty clear that they this was a setup. Okay, one because I don't believe they really need his testimony. I mean, for what they've done, the show trial that they've carried on, there's nothing here that Bannon's going to add to it. And then number two, the way in which they carried it out, they didn't um, they didn't try to limit it. They could have done that, and they also didn't work try to work something out with him in any way, shape, form, or fashion. So once basically within a you know two week period, they've established or three week period, I guess it is. So by the fifteenth, so they send it on the twenty third. By the fifteenth. They've had a couple letters back and forward, and they've basically said, hey, no, you need to show up. Oh, no, you won't. I'm not going to go to a judge. I'm not going to try to whittle it down. And just so you understand, that is very typically how this stuff works, all right? That is typically how it's done. Typically, the parties try to go back, whittle it down. If at the end of the day you can't get a negotiation, you typically go to the judge, and then the judge will come back and say, okay, you know, here's, here's what I think, here's what I would do, right? They didn't, have, they didn't do that. And, and they didn't have to try to refer him to a contempt. I, that's the main thing I want you to understand. So let's scroll back a little bit, and let's go down a little bit further. We're looking at the indictment, okay? So they basically say, by 6 p.m. on October 18th, Baden had made no sensitive admission, right? Had gotten given him documents, blah, 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 all right? The allegations, so they repeat the same allegations. There are 21 allegations in here. You've now, you've now seen the subpoena. You've heard what they were looking for. You've now seen the few interactions they had. Now, all of a sudden, this guy's looking at 30 days and $100 fine minimum if he's found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And here you right here, paragraph 23, right? It basically just says he refused to appear for deposition. Count two uh, is contempt of Congress for papers. So, one, he's got a count. Um, and interesting, I'm assuming if he's found guilty, each of these counts would cover the 30 days. So there's two counts, that'd be 60 days, and then a minimum of 100 and 100 would be $200, right? Uh, contempt of uh, Congress for Papers is 2 USC 192, but apparently they're both contained. And that's it. I mean, now we're at the end of it. It's signed by Matthew M. Graves, attorney for the United States, in and for the District of Columbia, right? That's it. You've like now seen the whole indictment that he's going to trial for us, folks. Um, we shall see how it turns out. Again, the opening statements will be today, but this is this is how it starts. And again, we say this all the time. I mean, maybe you don't care about Steve Bannon. Maybe you think you should handle it a little differently. Um, but folks, I mean, this is this is how you lose your freedoms. Now, something that is almost unheard of is now a little bit more normalized. And if he's found uh, guilty and serves any real uh, jail time, you're going to see a lot more of this stuff. So, all right. So Deborah Burks is in the news. Folks, um, and again, I, 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 you, it's just we feel like we say this all the time, but it's true. So Deborah Burks was, you know, the scarf queen. She and Fauci were the front and center of the the COVID reaction that we now realize was an overreaction. Okay, I mean, somehow or another, I did end up getting uh, the vaccine. I'm not, I haven't had any boosters, nor will I, but I did end up getting the vaccine. But before I got the vaccine, and you know, the vaccine came along well late. I can't remember exactly when I got it. I want to say it was. July of last year, somewhere in that neighborhood, something like that. But COVID had been around for about a year and a quarter. I never got it, not to my knowledge anyway. And so, you know, obviously the shutdowns didn't work. We know that. We also know that states that locked down, like California and some of these others, did no better than states that were open, like Florida and Georgia. So looking back, I mean, we can safely say that, you know, Deborah Burks and her whole idea here was, um, you know, didn't work. Well, she's got a book out. 
So I want you to understand, folks, okay, fine, you, you got a book, you want to make a few bucks, you, you've already got a pretty good federal pension and all that stuff, and, and, and you're going to write a book. But I want you to understand, I'm going to read a couple things from the book, and, and again, this is kind of going viral, as per usual, my take is a little bit different than other people's take on this. But, um, and everybody, you know, in, 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 on our camp is basically going, oh my God, she's admitting that she lied. She's admitting that she lied. Right. And yeah, of course, she's admitting that she lied. And the thing that they're missing is she's going to be uniformly praised by the other side for this. And I just want you to understand, we don't need clarity. We, I mean, we don't need agreement. We need clarity. Let's just be clear, because we're never going to agree at this point. I don't think a public official ought to have that kind of power. And then B, if they do have that kind of power, they ought to have to rely upon the data. They ought to have to follow the science. They don't follow the science, and it's clear they don't. And that is, by definition, an abuse of power. So anyway, I'm going to read you a few things. I've got two in the, in the, in the can here. So this is the first one. All right, this is from, uh, it looks like the post-millennial. The data as it was gathered, the sources it was gathered from, and the methods was not adequate to give a clear picture that could be used to make conclusive public health recommendations. That's from her book, folks. That's her. Burke said that there was essentially a silent spread of COVID and there was no way to track it. This, she said, led to the U.S. staying stalled in the containment phase rather than aggressively mitigating. The normal way to track a virus was through detecting symptoms, but without seeing any symptoms, there was no way to track it. What Birx was looking for was a plan B. The existing CDC data was, wasn't of any use, Birx said, picking apart the CDC's approach, saying that they should have been more forceful in their data collection and in going to states demanding information. Okay, more you know, heavy-handed government stuff. Despite not having adequate data, Burks pushed ahead with her plans to convince Trump and his advisors to go along with her mitigation plan. She writes that in March of 2020, very beginning of COVID, if you'll remember, she met with the president and her plan was to obfuscate her intentions for economic shutdowns, knowing that Trump was wary of anything that would tank the economy he had worked so hard to build. I couldn't do anything that would reveal my true intentions, she writes, to use the travel ban as one of a brick in the construction of a larger wall of protective measures we needed to enact very soon. Now, folks, she was obviously wrong about that. I don't blame her for being wrong. What I blame her for is when she doesn't have data and then lying to the president. Now, folks, listen, you should get fired for this. I believe you should go to prison for this. But I want you to understand the United States of America that you now live in. Not only do you not get fired, not only do you not lose your pension, not only are you not looking at prison time, you get wealth and fame for this. And believe me, as, as, the, as the news of this book and information that percolates out, look for the CNNs and the MSNBCs and the New York Times and the Washington Posts to praise her for that, to praise her. And not to acknowledge that she was wrong, by the way. Here's one more bit. And, folks, this is, uh, this is from, it looks like, the National Pulse. Anyway, this is, again, I'm reading directly from her uh, book here. All right? I want you to listen to this. All right? I devised a workaround for the government's, or for the governor's reports I was then writing. Instead of including those recommendations in the common bulleted list, I'd include them in the pandemic summary and state specific recommendations in the governor's reports where they wouldn't be so obvious. These weekly reports couldn't go out on Monday without administration approval. Week by week, Mark's office began providing line-by-line edits. After the heavily edited documents were returned to me, I'd reinsert what they had objected to, but in places, it, but place it in different locations. I'd also reorder and restructure the bullet points so the most salient, the points that the administration objected to the most, no longer fell at the start of, of the bullet points. I shared these strategies with the three members of the data team also writing these reports. Our Saturday and Sunday report 
writing routine soon became write, submit, revise, hide, resubmit. Fortunately, this strategic sleight of hand worked. They never seemed to catch this subterfuge, left me to conclude that either they read the finished reports too quickly or they neglected to do the word search that would have revealed the language to which they had objected. Now, folks, she didn't just think that. She wrote that down. She put that in a book. The editors, they also saw it. The other people read it. Now, I want you to understand, again, my take's a little different, right? Learn, right? Know thy enemy. This is how these people operate, and they're proud of it. She's proud of this, that the governors and other people in the administration would object to things, and then she'd go, oh, I'll just put it in another spot and see if they catch it. I mean, folks, think about that. Think, and again, you know, if you read Hayek, right, The Road to Surfram, I mention it all the time. I highly recommend you read it, right? It's basically a long essay on why leftist government policies don't work, right? And he's got about 10 to 12 different subheads of the problems. And one of the one of the subheads is the type of person who is attracted to that kind of power almost 99.9% of the time is the type of person that shouldn't be given that kind of power. They lack the proper temperament. This is an example of a person who lacks the proper temperament. Instead of going, "Oh, you object to that? Let me let me convince you why you're wrong. Let me show you this data. Let me advocate for this." Okay, all right. Well, we can't get it in this week. Maybe I get it in next week. That's not who she is. She basically just, you know, puts it in another spot. And looks you in the eye and says, okay, we made that change when she didn't make that change. This person should be going to prison. But I want you to understand that's what we've created um, in our lives. So, again, uh, look, we're, man, we're beating the clock. I love this. <laughs> we're all, I've, all, I've got two stories left, and I've got, uh, I've got seven minutes here, folks. Anyway, I told you it's a slow news day. You're basically all caught up to date. But you know, i got a couple more stories for you. So this one I tweeted about it a couple of days ago here. This is from the New York Post. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband purchased up to $5 million in stock options on a computer chip company ahead of a vote on legislation next week that would deliver billions in dollars of subsidies to chip manufacturing industry new financials disclosure show. Paul Pelosi purchased on June 17th 20,000 shares of NVIDIA, a top semiconductor company worth between $1 million and $5 million, the Daily Caller reported, citing disclosure reports filed by the House Speaker. In other words, folks, if you are engaged in stock purchases, you got to every month you got to file this form that tells people what you're buying and, and how so. Now, the reason for that is we have, you know, it's in, in Florida, and I've been a resident of Florida twice in my life. Um, you know, they have down there they call them sunshine laws, government in the sunshine. Everybody see what's going on. It's help designed to rein in power and keep people honest, right? So this has come to light, and this is designed to keep people honest. Now, you'll notice you're hearing out there, right now I'm against it from the beginning, right? People keep saying, oh, you shouldn't be allowed to purchase stocks if you're in Congress. Let's just have a prohibition. No, because first off, folks, it ain't going to work, because then she'll just, Paul Pelosi, instead of doing it, he'll just call his other buddy and give the other buddy the information, and now you won't even be able to catch what's going on. At least now we know what they're buying, and we know they're trading insider information. If you tell them they can't trade stocks, don't keep trading stocks just in a different way. OK, folks, and these people, are, you know, they're not very bright. So some of them don't don't understand that. But again, they the reason they're advocating that is they they don't like the sunshine. They don't like this coming out. Anyway, senators are expected to vote as early as Tuesday. That would be today, folks, to vote on bipartisan competition bill to set aside 52 billion uh, to boost domestic semiconductor manufacturing and give tax credits for production, Reuters reported. So in other words, folks, before this information about a vote came out, um, he just coincidentally bought $5 million of stocks that's getting ready to get a subsidy. And believe me, that $5 million is probably going to be $25 million. Now, folks, this is the kind of thing 
that 20, 30 years ago, Pelosi would have to resign. Now, she, the question would be whether they'd be um, charged, right, with insider trading and maybe go to jail. And then we'd be, we'd be tuned in every night to the ABC and the CBS and the Alphabet Networks to figure out if she's going to jail and how much of the $25 million they made they're going to keep. No, 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 not today. Because politics has been made into a game. It's to a, it's you know it's the Republicans versus Democrats. It's talk about Deborah Burks and her lies and all this data. And meanwhile, while everybody's focused on what dress AOC is is wearing, right? These people are making money hand over fist. And folks, when they're getting to the point where they're doing it right in front of your face, like folks, I mean, you know, you deserve what you get. Anyway, so last story here. Uh, there's a lot of talk out there. This is from our friends on the left, the Washington Post. Biden could declare. Climate emergency as soon as this week. This would be uh, published this morning at 11 a.m., so you're right on top of it. Turns out, as uh, Joe Manchin saved the republic again by saying, yes, I'm not going to go for the Green New Deal. Forget about it. It's done. Now the left has said, okay, well, we'll just go to one person, right? So we couldn't get 51 people. Couldn't even get 51 people, so we're going to have to go to the president. Anyway, scroll down. What is a climate emergency? What does it do? Well, folks, it really doesn't do a lot except to make the left happy, right? And so I have to get down to the article again. The problem with this is you go, you scroll, it starts out. President Biden is considered declaring a national climate emergency as soon as this week as he seeks to salvage his environmental agenda in the wakes of stalled capitals, or stalled talks on Capitol Hill. According to three people familiar with the matter who spoke on the condition, blah, 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 blah. It goes on. The potential moves comes days. They act like there's real news going on here. The only news is buried in the bottom. What in the world can he do? What, what's the point of declaring a climate emergency other than raising money for Democrats, right? Some climate activists have urged the White House in recent months to deploy an emergency declaration to maximum effect, arguing that it would allow the president to halt crude oil exports, limit oil and gas drilling in federal waters, direct agencies, including the Federal Management or Federal Emergency Management Association, otherwise known as FEMA, to boost renewable energy sources. Folks, basically what he's going to do if he declares this emergency right, is he's going to do what he's already doing, okay? So this is all basically a hoax. There's nothing going on here that he can do, except it'll make it seem like he's doing something. He'll raise a lot of money for Democrats. But the takeaway, because he's already doing that stuff, right, he's playing the game of, oh, you've got a permit or you've got a, a lease. Oh, okay, well, you, you can't have the permit. Or if you have the permit and then the lease runs up before you get to drilling, well, we're not going to renew the lease. So he's already doing all that stuff. That's why gas prices over time are going to go up, right? And they're going to continue to go up if he does this stuff. But anyway, I just wanted you to know there's really nothing he can do uh, other than you know a few things here and there. So don't worry too much about this climate emergency if it comes out. It's just a hoax for him to raise money and act like he's doing something and to try to salvage some, some kind of victory out of you know the defeat he took in the Senate. And again, before I leave uh, the show for the day, I want you to understand these folks, I mean, they're all crying and, you know, and they're all upset about Joe Manchin this and Joe Manchin that. Imagine how extreme that bill has to be for Joe Manchin to vote, to vote against it. Imagine how extreme that bill has to be that you can't get Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, or uh, Milk Toast Milk Romney or somebody like that. I mean, come on. Obviously, it's, it's, it's just complete nonsense. But anyway, you are now all caught up to date uh, with the news of the day. And if you enjoyed this live stream, I hope you tune back in tomorrow.